Well, it's good to see you all. Uh, Our text today is going to be from Hebrews 12, so if you want to go ahead and turn to that, we'll get there in just a minute. This is our final week in our discipleship series that is called Side by Side. Uh, There is no corresponding chapter in the discipleship handbook this week. So if your life group is meeting, um, don't be looking for a chapter in there. You might want to go back and review some things if you feel like you want to do that. But the the, uh, teachings of Jesus sheet is available Um, And I hope your group or you as an individual have been using that weekly. Uh, There's been some great teaching there. Um, So even if your life group isn't meeting this week, I would really encourage you to go and get that. And it's on the website. Um, When you go to the home page, you just, on the left side, there are some words there. You click on adults, it'll take you to our life groups page. And you look for the teachings of Jesus for week nine, and it's right there. Uh, And this week is about persecution Uh, in the teachings of Jesus. And it sort of corresponds, it's a nice tie-in to what we're talking about today. Um, But you're going to be talking about, or you'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5 and John 15, Mark chapter 13, and also Ephesians 6 in that teachings of Jesus sheet. So again, just really encourage you, it's a great way to go deeper in this idea of walking side by side with Jesus and with each other. So, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we are, and we're going to read the first three verses, and this is our main text for today. Hear God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when we look at this passage, there are some things that are written to us individually. There's a personal responsibility. The language there has some things that we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. And the first thing it says is to throw off. The idea behind that is to get rid of or to set aside. And uh, it's in the context, again, as the writer of Hebrews is telling us, and we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, by the way. A lot of people think it was Paul, but we aren't positive. Uh, But we know that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and that this is part of God's Word. Anyway, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to throw something off as we are running this race. It's, a, it's an analogy for our lives. Now, I'm not a big runner, but there's one thing I have noticed. Uh, the less I weigh, the, the better I run, you know? <laughs> Back when I graduated from high school and I weighed like 142 pounds, it was a lot easier to run than it is now. I know part of that's age too, but part of it is just weight makes it hard. Well, something that happens in the physical realm often has a correlation in the spiritual realm. That's why Paul's talking about this as a race. There are so many analogies, or Paul, see, we think it's Paul. Um, So many many analogies from life that we see physically that tie into spiritual things, that we can use them as examples. Jesus did it all the time. So this idea of running, and we're supposed to throw off some things. The first thing is everything that hinders. Now, the idea behind this is is to run with, again, as little weight as possible. Now, some of that happens as you run, you just lose weight. But 
you wouldn't want to be running like this. Let's say you, uh, you have three layers of clothing on and a winter coat, and you jump in a pool, and then you go running, all right? <laughs> it doesn't sound like the easiest way to do it. It's a lot better to run a race without the extra weight, the extra baggage. So you need to ask a question, what are the things that are slowing me down as I am running? Now, I'm sure all of us can immediately think of some blatant sin. And we're going to talk about sin in just a minute. Think of maybe something that is not quite as obvious. Are you able to think of some things that might be slowing you down that aren't blatant, up-against-the-face-of-God kinds of sin? Maybe things that would distract us, as the text says. We need to realize that anything that distracts us from God can be an idol. And it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. In fact, a good thing placed before God is still an idol. And if you want to dig a little bit deep in, more deeply into that, then I would encourage you to go back and uh, look in uh, early last year, early 2014, we did a series called God's at War. There's a lot of really good teaching on that, and I encourage you to check it out. But that's the idea. These things that distract us, take them off, set them aside. And then it talks about the sin that entangles. There are at least a couple of pictures that we can use to help us understand what's going on in this text. One is a picture of someone who's running, but they get off course. So they started on the path, but then they decided to, to get off course. And as they're running, they discover the things that make the path so much better. Uh, they discover things like thorns and branches, and vines, and briar, and thickets. And the things that, as we try to run, grab a hold of us and injure us and cause us to be alone and no longer with the people on the path. The second picture is of a person who is running, or at least trying to run, but they're shackled to something that is it's not possible for them to get rid of on their own. This is the sin. And more than just some articles of clothing that we might have on that we don't need while we're running, this is stuff that we can't take off ourselves. This is like a backpack that has been strapped to us. And it's locked around us and we don't have the key. This is like ankle weights and, and wrist weights that are shackled to us. This is the big sled that weighs 500 pounds that's tied to us, and we try to move, and we just can't on our own. This is the impossible thing for us to shed. This is sin itself, and we can't do it on our own. You can't run with sin. But you can't get rid of sin yourself. And so we thank God for the cross of Jesus and his sacrifice. 
And we also need to be careful that after our sin has been taken off of us, that we don't go back and pick it up. And sometimes we don't even pick up the sin, we just pick up the guilt that went with it. And we put it back on and we try to run with that. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that. Throw it off. Get rid of it and run. And that's another word for us. It says run. Run. That means just make progress. Advance. Do not stand still. And there are some really good ways that you can do that. And we've talked about those in this series. As a personal, in your personal walk with Jesus, I was at a spiritual formation intensive course this past week. And we've been talking about all kinds of stuff. It's our second year on it. Um, and our instructor said, you know, I know this sounds like you've heard it all before, and so this will sound exactly the same to you, but you really need to pray and read your Bible. You really need to. Those are absolute ways to connect with God, and there are many, many other wonderful things that you can do, spiritual disciplines that you can incorporate into your life. But I don't know anybody who is spiritually mature in Christ, who does not pray and does not read their Bible. I don't know one person. It's impossible. So that's part of our running. We have a responsibility, spiritual disciplines, things that help us grow closer to God, throwing off some of the weight, the, the things that we place before God, moving those aside again with his help, Understanding that our sin has been taken off and we don't need to put it back on nor the guilt that goes with us and we need to run. But there are, there are some other opportunities for us that the text talks about that give us some encouragement, that give us some help as we run and these are not dependent on us. Two other sources of encouragement. The first one is this, community. You're surrounded by people who are cheering for you. You're surrounded by people who are running beside you. People who are running the race. And we need to be in community with each other and encourage each other. And you should be of benefit to other people and they should be of benefit to you. I think of the people that are good runners in our church and, and I go running with them and, you know, they're great because they'll, they'll match their pace to mine. They'll encourage me. They'll help me move along. It's wonderful to have those people beside you encouraging you as you run. But the text also gives us this picture of something that's incredible. It says there's this cloud of witnesses. And it's this, this amazingly large group of people. And these people are in the stands. Because they've already completed their race. In fact, the word that's given, and if you go back in the previous chapter, you'll understand why this word is given. The word that is, is used for that crowd is the word martis, which is the Greek word from which we get our English word martyr. It's people who were running their race, and they ran it all the way to the end, and they died faithful to Jesus. These are the people who are around you, cheering you on as well. And the word great there doesn't apply to the person. It applies to the number. There's nothing great about any of us, but there is a greatness about the number of us 
that God has had saints before us, people who have run the race before us, an incredible number, an incomparable number, an innumerable number that are cheering for us and encouraging us. And that should give us encouragement as well. So the community is part of the encouragement that we get from outside of ourselves. But obviously the larger part that comes from outside and then comes within us is Jesus. He is our greatest source of strength and hope. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the idea of fixing your eyes is is like the horses that run with blinders. They can't see anything except what's ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at the things that are beside you. The stuff that you threw off, that Satan runs beside you and holds back up and says, would you like this again? Here are these cool things. Remember these? And also you'll find that there is new stuff. You got rid of some of that old baggage, and guess what? There's new baggage, and it's right there. Don't pick that up. Focus on Jesus, not on the stuff. And it it might help us to remember that Jesus is the one who laid out the course. He knows the course. He created it. He's the author and perfecter, the one who completed it, so he made it. He has run it. He knows it better than anyone. It sort of reminds me of of this, let's say you go to Muirfield Village and uh, you get the opportunity to play a round of golf there. And it's just you, you don't have pressure, there's no one else there on the course, it's just you, all right? So take away all the pressure and all of the hard stuff that would be like all those people watching me. But when you get there, there's one person who says, hey, if you want, I'll walk the course with you. And, and I'll, I'll help you out. Um, I can carry your bag for you. Uh, I can tell you where all the hazards are. I can help you to know which club to use. Uh, and the guy's name is Jack Nicholas. Now, can you imagine? Again, I, I wouldn't want to do that because I'm so bad at golf, it would be embarrassing. But can you imagine if Jack Nicholas said, you know, I would love to just walk the course with you the guy that designed it, the guy that's completed it, the guy that has finished it. See, Jesus can do the same thing. He knows the course. He has completed it. In fact, he shot an 18 for 18 holes, which is impossible for us, but it's not impossible for Jesus. Jesus is perfect, and he perfectly ran the race and completed it. And he says, will you let me go with you? Consider Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Think carefully. The word there, consider, means to think carefully, to think deeply, to analyze. Focus. Think about Jesus. Remember how he ran the race? And the opposition that he faced, and remember that he won, that he conquered sin and death. And that gives us strength. And it helps us to keep from wearing out. So these are the two external major sources of strength that this text tells us are there for us as we run our race. 
And you know what? That fits in perfectly with side by side. We run with one another and we run with Jesus. Now maybe you remember the, the week that we came up and we had the paint and we put our paint on the canvas. Do you remember that? Did anybody see the artwork that's hanging in the lobby? Anybody see that when you came in this morning? All right. Look up. There are things around, all right? So when you go out, you're going to see this. This is what you did. This is the artwork that came out of the, uh, the, the time that we spent together when we came forward. Those are the two paintings side by side. Now, you're thinking, wow, that looks a lot different than what I expected. Yeah, it is. Here are some things I think that we can learn from this painting that, again, apply to our lives. It is surprising. I'm absolutely 100% confident it looks very different than any of us thought that it would when we added our part to the canvas. But the master painter had something in mind the entire time. And our vision of what our life is supposed to look like and then what it actually looks like are often very different. And at times that can be disappointing, but if you let the master painter be in charge. Well, there are some amazing things that can happen, and it can be very encouraging and beautiful. What we contribute mixes with what everyone else contributes, and we benefit from others as we benefit them. And isn't it, it's so amazing how much more rich and more complex and more colorful and more diverse this is than if one of us took just one thing and put our own little dot on the canvas. And when we put Jesus and other people in the center, as Jesus said to do, love God and love people, remember that? Then we can impact the world in a way that is so amazing. You might also look at this and think, that's really messy and it's cracked and it's kind of broken and it's different than what I thought it was going to be, and yeah, that's how life is. It's messy. And it's got cracks in it. And it's amazing. Because when we live life side by side with each other and side by side with Jesus, it's incredible. So when we see this work of art, we want to remember the things that we've talked about in this series, but even more, we want to become the people God is shaping us to be, because it's always more about being than it is about doing. And in all of it, at every point, this whole series, our whole lives, should really be about Jesus. So let's walk back through very quickly the, the series itself, the things we've talked about. And we began, of course, with Jesus. Jesus. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The starting point, the focal point, the ending point has to be Jesus. Talked about being intentional. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the entire intentional plan for making disciples. Follow Jesus and people follow you. That's it. 
Follow me as I follow Jesus. Intentionally live out the message of Jesus. Relationships. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That is very, very relational. That is not religion at all. Your most important relationship is Jesus. We, we spoke of the Bible, and, and the Bible is God's word given to us. But Jesus said something very interesting about the scriptures. In John 5, 39, said, he said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. In other words, we need to know the word of God. Jesus used it all the time, but it does not provide life in and of itself. He said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. And what did we see in 1 John 4, 9 about Jesus? That we may have life through him. The scriptures themselves point to Jesus. He is the word made flesh. Talked about our story and we had some amazing, wonderful testimonies. People who just told what God had done in their lives. And John 15, 5 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's what our story is. It's our lives pointing to God. So the focus of our story, of our testimony, is Jesus. There's a journey. We're on it. And Sometimes we may feel that we're alone, but Matthew 28, 20 reminds us when Jesus said, I will be with you always. Every step of the way on this journey, Jesus is with us. And last week we looked at the idea of multiplying. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. So right before Jesus said, I'm going to be with you, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go multiply yourselves. Make more disciples. See, at every point, it's always about Jesus. Yes, it's about multiplication. Yes, it's about journey. Yes, it's about our stories. Yes, it's about the word of God. Yes, it's about relationships. Yes, it's about being intentional. But all of those things are really focused on Jesus. You know, we've been focusing on Jesus this morning. I don't know if you realize that. I'm sure you did. That's why you're here. We've sung songs that talk about Jesus. We're going to sing more that focus us on him. We've greeted each other in the name of Jesus. We're hearing teaching about Jesus. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Jesus. Because it's always all about Jesus. So a way that we can put this into practice as a body, and you can certainly do this on your own, is to think about those people who are running the race, and especially about those people who are suffering and being persecuted in ways that are incredibly painful and difficult, and pray for them. <clears throat> and then remember to focus on Jesus. And pray about that. Ask him to help us do that. And right now, we're going to take a minute to do that, to pray together, because we are a body together. Right now, we're going to pray about those two things. For people 
especially those who are suffering, and to remind ourselves of the importance of focusing on Jesus. And we're going to have words on the screen, and I'll say the words that are in white, and I would encourage you, we will all say together uh, the words that are in blue. And we're going to begin with something that we are not comfortable with, but the Bible is very clear about. We'll just take a minute of silence, and then we're going to pray. And go ahead and be seated, uh, remain seated while we're praying, if you would. But let's begin with silence. around the world who are suffering from the injustice or hardship of life. May they be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. O oh God, be their strength. We lift up people who face disease and difficulty, whether their suffering is physical, emotional, mental, financial, relational, or spiritual. May your Holy Spirit provide healing, comfort, and peace. We pray for those who are being persecuted for being followers of Jesus. May they be patient and remember that the coming of the Lord is near. Dear Lord, help them to not grow weary. We now pray for ourselves that we would set aside the distractions of this life and the sin that so easily Thank you for taking away our sins on the cross. Remind us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who endured opposition from sinful men and is now seated at your right hand. Hear our prayer. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In the same book of Hebrews, uh, just a few thoughts before this one, the author talks about the difference between the old covenant and the new. And in chapter 9, we see these words, starting in verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of, of the, all the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus gave everything on the cross, took all of our sin on himself. And every week as we celebrate the table, we remember not only that we are one body taking these things together, but we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the love that he gave on our behalf. So as you take the emblems, remember the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper 
as we enter a time of singing. And we ask that you just take the emblems as they are passed and celebrate what Jesus has done for you.